actor Jim Carrey got into a Twitter feud this week with the granddaughter of Benito Mussolini. Because that's just the kind of thing that happens now, and we all have to accept it. <laughs> News at this point is just a string of unrelated words, like Elon Musk releases Harambe rap. <laughs> or this actual headline I read today, disabled chicken who survived weasel attack learning to walk thanks to custom wheelchair. <laughs> Guys, just eat the chicken. <laughs> oh. What a great string of jokes that was. Jim Carrey in Twitter war with Mussolini's granddaughter. You could write a book on each one of those jokes. That's great. And that's just something that happens now, and we all have to accept it. (laughs) So true. Hilarious. So so listen, what this may be the ultimate example of feel-good policies or feel-good topics equaling crappy, crappy policy. And this, uh, I'm going to steal liberally from our friend Christina Sandifer, who wrote an editorial for um, the big paper in the Phoenix area. Um, Paycheck Fairness Act treats women as victims, not equals. The idea that women are getting paid less than men for doing the same work at the same level is, you know, that's uncool. And it's, it's dumb that an employer would do that. And, you know, if women think, well, I'm doing everything Hal's doing, I need to get as much money. You're right. You should. And you ought to demand it. You ought to do whatever it takes to get it. But I am telling you this. Write it down. If you don't understand it now, just keep looking at it, and you will someday. Telling the federal government to write that wrong, if indeed there is a wrong, is about the worst possible idea. But Christina writes... Uh, It's the Paycheck Fairness Act. Its name is enticing for politicians, but what exactly would the Paycheck Fairness Act do for women? Um, After all, equal pay for equal work is already the law of the land under the Federal Equal Pay and Civil Rights Act and has been for more than 50 years. The Paycheck Fairness Act would force employers to report employees' salaries to the government and allow employees to use that information without context as a weapon against employers. And it would deem employers guilty until proven innocent, forcing them to justify pay disparities through costly litigation. In other words, the bill treats women as incapable of negotiating the terms of their employment and as victims of the patriarchy if they should dare to choose flexibility or other benefits over high pay. The Paycheck Fairness Act is based on the gender pay gap, which has been debunked time and time again. Uh, as many studies have pointed out, the uh, gender pay gap statistic that women are paid only 78 cents on the man's dollar is misleading. When one takes into account a number of factors based on individual preference, such as education, choice of profession, level of experience, desire for flexibility, women are actually paid 95 cents on the dollar, and there's no evidence that the remaining 5% gap reflects discrimination. Um, this from one of the smartest, toughest, uh, most interesting women I know, uh, Christine Sandifer. And the problem with this on a practical level is, and, and God, the law of unintended consequences could have no better illustration than this. So there you are, Ms. X. You're working in a you know, fair-sized shop. You've got a number of different people who do more or less the same job. The chances of you getting a raise or anybody getting a raise because you're really good at what you do, you're super valuable to the company, or you've said, hey, uh, the the company across town says they want to hire me. There is no way you're going to get a raise because to separate anybody from the herd would tempt a gigantic, mind-bogglingly expensive lawsuit. 
Everybody else would claim, oh, you're just getting a raise because of discrimination, blah, blah, blah. And the company, which now reports every salary from everybody to the federal government and has got to run it by a bureaucrat, is never going to stick their neck out and give a raise to a valuable person. It, it, it will make the act of, you know, you've been working really hard and we'd like to keep you around. We're going to give you a little extra. Make it an act as complex as, you know, a company's tax return. Just that aspect of their financial lives will be like filing their taxes every year. It's just, it's a horrible idea. Just horrible. I can't believe anybody would think it's a good idea, but people do. So we were talking about AI and uh, several presidential candidates are talking about how that's going to take away a lot of jobs. Robots don't ask for raises, Joe. Yeah, well, one this I tell you what, this will be one more way to drive companies to automated help. Because have you ever listen, have you ever worked at a place that you've been close enough to management to know a lot of the personnel junk that goes on? I can't tell you the various radio ranches we've worked in. How many crappy crappy employees have gotten canned and then sued for some sort of discrimination. And it's fake. In every single case, it's been fake. Um, And the idea that if it turns out you make a little less than somebody else and you get to sue every time you find that out, oh, my God, it's going to be a nightmare. You can have companies shutting down all over the place. But anyway, go on. Sorry. So we got this text. Hey, gents, regarding robots and minimum wage. The rising minimum wage is the least of my issues, and I own four brick-and-mortar service shops with 32 total employees. Getting these millennials to show up on time, do their jobs instead of playing on their phones, and generally give a damn about helping the customers is my biggest challenge. Robots show up on time, don't call in sick at the last minute, and they don't have phones to play with. As for the customer service, people don't expect as much from a robot as they do from a human. That's interesting. So we'll put up with crappy customer service because it's a robot. Yeah. Boy, you know, it's it's tempting to portray that sort of complaint as, you know, kids these days. But I hear that from virtually everybody I know who has employees. It's really hard to find people who will, like, show up to work and work and expect to work and don't think it's, you know, they're being put upon when they're asked to work. Hmm. Uh, it's a cultural norm, but these people didn't raise themselves. Correct. Um, Everybody gets a trophy. I'm telling you. Uh, that, speaking of, the, 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 the historians of the future, they might cite that as like the... They might, they might actually, yeah. I'm reading the uh, big uh, biography of Andrew Jackson, American Lion. And, How many uh, which people is, has he fought so far? Which, oh, <laughs> a lifetime's worth. <laughs> but uh, it's it, number one, it's inaccurate. He was not a lion. He was a human being. But... <laughs> <laughs> there's this there's there's this scandal involving this chick who's the new wife of one of his cabinet people and word around town is she's a hussy and so a hussy so nobody wants to have this hussy in their parlor and so <laughs> who will have this gal swing by for a visit remember she's the wife of the secretary of defense so who will have the sec death and her hussy into their home has become like a giant litmus test of are you with the president or are you against him and this chick and her alleged sexual crimes or transgressions became a, a a matter of serious historical impact. Yeah, I've heard John Meacham talk about this before. It's, it's crazy. And in the same way, I swear to God, 500 years from now, when they talk about the fall of the American Empire, they will talk about every kid getting a trophy. 
and what that led to. I don't think I'm exaggerating. That attitude of everyone's a champion, everyone's an A student, everyone's special, it's, it's death. Now, there's a hell of a lot of room between that and cruelty, but that's this marshmallowian philosophy that just, it's doomed us. I don't, I don't think this is dooming us, but on the, uh, speaking of everybody gets a trophy, I was at the park yesterday. My well, son- and I'm sorry, and everybody ought to make as much as the person who makes the most in an organization. Right. Everybody's Even though they may be way smarter, more productive, have better uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah, just ignoring the fact that there are better employees and worse employees, right. that that exists as a thing. Ignoring right. that that exists as a thing. Jordan Peterson has some brilliant stuff on that, trying to eliminate all hierarchies and how that will kill us. Yeah. Well, you shave off the top, certainly. Imagine if everybody graduated from medical school at exactly the same rank, for instance. And hospitals could not differentiate between the best brain surgeon and the very worst. Can you imagine that world? Some people want it. Trump fired the secretary of, what is she, Homeland Security? That's her. For some reason. Didn't like her. Mouthy. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't get with the plan. You got to get with the plan. Mouthy. Maybe she's a hussy. <laughs> Maybe someone's didn't want parlor. Her in their, his parlor. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the, of, of the nation. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. I'm interested in this superbug that's traveling around the world. Candide something or other. People are catching and it's killing them and you can't even hardly get rid of it. And it uh, drugs don't do anything to it. Scary. Well, yeah, the story of the dude in the hospital. Was it New York? He was uh, in the hospital. I don't remember. It was somewhere in America. But uh, he passed, unfortunately. And, uh, and and they found this fungus living, and they couldn't kill it uh, all over the room, everywhere. And they had to remove ceiling tiles and, and floor tiles. No chemicals, no scrapers, no wire brushes. Nothing could get rid of this stuff. They had to dismantle the room, and, and it's spreading worldwide. I mean, ah, that's horrible. Remember when Bob Dylan had a fungus around his heart? That story freaked me out. I got a fungus in my heart. Um, <laughs> Strangest thing. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be the show that's uh, trying to get you to listen by saying we're all going to die or anything like that. But nah. God, that, you know, the, the 1918 flu killed, what, 20 million people in America or something? Some high number. It was a lot. And all over the world, right? Um, was yeah, it's just incredibly deadly. It, it just it happens now and then. I haven't had one in the modern world in a very, very long time. But We're trying as hard awful. as we can to breed them, though. Misuse of antibiotics Anyways, and the rest of it. That's a story we'll stay on. Maybe we'll talk to somebody smart about that at some point. So this is such a classic DJ thing to do. He can either do this now or coming up. 
Who's happier, dog owners or cat owners? Good Lord. Major poll, it's not even close. The Who's happier, the people? Yes. Dog owners. Are, dag, dog, dag. It's a dag. Dog owners are clearly happier than cat owners. Jack. Cat owners are sad people. Jack. No offense, cat owners, but you're sad people. You're wrong. <laughs> That's fine. They know it. <laughs> you're wrong. That's why they got a cat. They yeah. know they're sad. Yeah. He says, trying to make it more interesting. No, you're clearly right. Well, yeah, it's just, yeah. Well-respected survey, been a barometer of American politics, culture, and behavior for more than four decades. Finally got around to the question. Dog or cat, the general social survey for the first time included a battery of questions on pet ownership. They not only quantified the nation's pet population, which is nearly six in ten households have one, at least one. They made it possible to see how pet ownership overlaps with all sorts of factors uh, like happiness. Percent saying they're very happy. Dog owners, 36%. Dog and cat, 28%. Cat only, 18%. Dog owners are twice as likely to be happy as cat owners. And no pet was actually in second place. Those numbers seem awful low, don't they? Does that mean they're very happy? Okay, very happy. Right. That's a pretty high standard. Yeah. Um, there's little difference between pet owners and non-owners when it comes to happiness uh, in a, on average, but the mere introduction of a cat in your home will make you from 4 to 24% less happy. Well, I don't know if that's fair to say. Yeah, I know. It, um, causation or correlation. It's the sort of weirdo you are that makes you want a cat that makes oh, you unhappy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Slowly coming to the realization that you have a specific kind of cat toilet that you have to keep somewhere in your house. <laughs> Probably adds to it. and Yeah, man. dog owners twice as likely to say they're very happy. I have a couple cats, by the way. Dog owners, in other words, are slightly happier than those without any pets. Those in the cat camp, on the other hand, are significantly less happy than even the petless. And having both appears to cancel each other out <laughs> happiness-wise. Oh, really? Because we have dogs and cats. Since someone's bound to ask, it isn't possible to do the same type of analysis for, say, rabbit owners or lizard owners or fish owners or snake guy, since there aren't enough of these folks in the lizard survey owners. to make a statistically valid sample. I want to know more about lizard owners. You're wearing a black concert t-shirt. You've got a ponytail. You've never been tan. Listen to this. The happiness divide between dog and cat owners is bigger than the one between people who identify as middle and upper class. And nearly as large a gap is between those who say they're in fair health versus good or excellent health. No, we've How? got a couple cats. I, I don't, I've had cats my whole life. Geez, when I was a kid, we had cats. But I've never been attached to a cat. Mm. Yeah. I know, I know, you know, a lot of people do. That's fine. Correlation, however, does not equal causation, and there are probably a number of other differences between dog and cat owners that account for some of the differences. The general social survey data shows that dog owners, for instance, are more likely to be married and own their own homes than cat owners. Hmm. Both factors known to affect happiness and life satisfaction. Well, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, is that just the difficulty of uh, renting and having a dog as opposed to renting and having a cat? You can't have a little box in the corner for the dog to poop in. Yeah, I don't know. See, that's it. This is, to me, anytime you do this stuff, it's the interesting thing about the way statistics work. You have to tease out all this stuff. Sure. To really, to really come to any conclusion. Here's an interesting psychological phenomenon. Research has shown that dog owners are more likely than other folks to form friendship, friendship mm, being friends with people in their neighborhoods on the basis of random encounters. That often happen when they're out walking their pets. 
The social connections likely contribute to greater well-being among dog owners. I got out of my house and knew my neighbors a lot more when I lived in town, taking my dog for a run. I I saw them more often. Just the fact that I had to go out of the house, I saw my neighbors more often. Mm. So is that, you know, that's interesting. So is it just the, the nature of dog ownership? You, it's, 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 it's a lot easier to have a dog owning a home, and it gets you out of the house more often. Leads to happiness. I think it's probably both. There's a psychological profile, and obviously it's only you know limited usefulness, but I'll bet there's a psychological profile of dog people versus cat people. And then you add to that... We're the, talking about owners, not people that are part dog or part cat. For instance, right. <laughs> um, plus, there's the practical aspect of getting out and walking your dog and running other dog owners, uh, etc. Dog owners um, also, they, they think how we interact with our pets might have an effect on the happiness. Dog owners, for instance, are more likely to seek comfort from their pet in times of stress, more likely to play with their pet, more likely to consider their pet a member of the family. I've never had a cat that seemed to care whether I lived or died. That's yeah. the, one of the main things. <laughs> yeah, there's that. You know, listen, I'm... I have a dog, and it has uh, caused some inconveniences and sacrifices and the rest of it, but I think about it all the time. Baxter has, without question, brought more joy than trouble to the house. Huh. A cat? Meh. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, U.S. launching a new crackdown on Iran, something not done before. Beto O'Rourke, his conversational or uh, controversial comments about Israeli leader Benjamin Netanyahu and the push to grant illegals driver's licenses spreading nationwide. Oh, boy. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. ever been around anybody that's got OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder to any level? It's just, man, it is, it is a trying condition. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. It's one of those things that it's like Al-Anon helps you deal with the alcoholic in your family. Is that it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You really need to know what you're doing because some of it's kind of counterintuitive. Oh my God. Like my son can't sleep at night sometimes because he's so worried somebody's going to move his Legos. For instance, mm. move any of them around or touch them. You just can't stop obsessing about it. Wow. Oh, that's too bad. Didn't leave the house the whole weekend. Gorgeous weather. Couldn't walk out the door. Just couldn't do it. Ugh. Rough to be him. Let's get the news now, Marshall Phillips. Well, the United States is labeling Iran's Revolutionary Guard a foreign terrorist organization. Speaking at the State Department today, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said... There's ample justification for the move. We're doing it because the Iranian regime's use of terrorism as a tool of statecraft makes it fundamentally different from any other government. He also called it just and long overdue. The designation is going to be the first time the U.S. has ever named a part of another government as a foreign terrorist organization. Why now, I wonder? I mean, because it's been true for a very long time. Uh, Iran's been the number one sponsor of terror, geez, my entire adult life. In the, in the whole world. And uh, I was about to say we play footsie with them. That's not fair. That's overstating it. But we, we, we've, we've not come down on it as hard as we do a lot of other things. Right. For instance, declaring them a terrorist organization. Yeah. You wonder know, why now? I don't... It'd be easy to get off on a very long tangent on this, but it's... um. You know, labeling something a terrorist organization as opposed to... 
an organization that funds asymmetrical warfare or, you know, the difference between that and sending in a SEAL team under the cover of night to accomplish a mission and the rest of it. If you put it in moral terms, it's all it all gets a little fuzzy. Um, but, yeah, they, they absolutely fund killing people and blowing stuff up by people who are not in a military. Right. So if you're against that, yeah, they absolutely sponsor terrorism. President but Trump, it's a financial maneuver. It's a political mm-hmm. maneuver. Yeah, it puts more economic and political pressure on Iran's government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the president was also saying this morning the move recognizes the reality that Iran is a state-sponsored supporter of terrorism and the Guard is an active participant. Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke says Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is a racist. Woof. The former Texas congressman was speaking well, about... everybody calls everybody a racist right now, so he might as well. He was speaking about U.S.-Israeli ties at a campaign event that was in Iowa on Sunday. The U.S.-Israel relationship is one of the most important relationships that we have on the planet. And that relationship, if it is to be successful, must transcend partisanship in the United States. And it must be able to transcend a prime minister who is racist, as he warns about Arabs coming to the polls who wants to defy any prospect for peace as he threatens to annex the West Bank, uh, and who has sided with a far-right racist party in order to maintain his hold on power. Yeah, because if he didn't do what Beto says is racist, there would be peace. They would come to an agreement and everything would be fine. Sure, Beto. So if they both win, that's going to be an interesting situation, as they are one of our closest allies, if Beto's president and Netanyahu's prime minister. Beto's just a bootleg buttigieg. <laughs> well, that that will never happen, but that would be very interesting if it did. Is Netanyahu yeah. going to win tomorrow? Yes, he probably. Is? Probably. I thought the polls I saw was sort of pretty close. I think he's going to win. Hmm. Um, Gets but, the six four. Like I said, probably military standout. He's good. He's a good candidate. The other dude, he's solid. Yeah, yeah but the reading in the New York Times was none of it has been about policy. Mm-hmm. It's just been a shallow, ugly campaign on well, both sides yeah i just i happen to read and it, it's not like i hang out in tel aviv but uh, i read that there's a tremendous amount of energy among younger voters on the right yeah and so i just i wonder we'll see american airlines is extending the boeing max related cancellations now through june previously the company had said it'd cancel about 90 flights a day through april the 24th now again the flights are being canceled through June 5th. Oh, I'm glad you brought up air travel. Number one, it sucks. It's miserable. It's virtu- <laughs> virtually every aspect of it deadens the human soul. Yep. And That's I why a, I like driving. I had a great trip over the weekend. It just went, it couldn't have gone any better. It was wonderful. But just from getting the Uber at the hotel to riding in the car, it smelled a little weird. And the guy, I don't know why he couldn't drive faster. And, but then you sit there in the security and yelling at the old guy who's like, it's the first time he's ever flown. And then the security guy's yelling at him. And then you sit there and they're, they're out of the food you want it to stand. Just then you sit there and they say it's on time, but they board 20 minutes late. And just every aspect that you sit there in the seat. <laughs> so anyway, the whole thing's awful. But I do want to say hello yeah. and thanks for saying hi to a handful of people who came up and said they really liked the show in the airport. And I, I'm sorry, I was super crazy tired. So if I seemed... Ooh, Joe whoa. lashed out at fans wow. at the airport. No, no I didn't. Whoa, Clearly you're apologizing. If I was less than my usual charming self, I apologize. Wow. I was just very tired. All right, we've got a renewed push across the United... I shouldn't have shoved your kid. Wow. I mean, I, I just... I, I'm sorry. 
sorry. We have got a renewed push across the United States to issue driver's licenses to illegals. The push is now moving into the Midwest with rural workers who say driving is an absolute necessity. The illegals feel frustrated because supermarkets and job sites are too far away to walk, but they risk alerting authorities if they get behind the wheel. Yeah, you see, the thing is, you shouldn't have people in your country illegally. If you didn't have that, then you don't have all these other problems that then you have to figure. But how will we handle driving? How will we handle the schools? How will we handle the emergency rooms? Right. You don't have any of those problems if you don't allow illegal people. But if you're going to have illegals by the tens of millions, nobody even knows the number. Yeah. Then you have all these issues you have to deal exactly. with. Exactly. A lot of you hate this idea of, of driver's, license for, uh, driver's licenses for illegals. But as Jack points out, we put ourselves in an impossible spot by both political parties lying that they're going to do something about it while actively promoting illegal mm-hmm. immigration for their own purposes for decades. So we have, as Jack said, this, this bears contemplating for a moment, tens of millions, whether it's 10 or 20, nobody's sure. Of, of people who are undocumented in the country. So how do we deal with them? I don't, I don't know. But the hypocrisy is just astonishing. And, and... And there's more. And, and, wait a and, minute. And, and, hang on. And at least one party loves the idea of p- potential voters having a driver's license, which is what you usually show to vote, and they look, at least in California, almost identical to regular driver's licenses. And you have to affirmatively tell the DMV, don't register me to vote because I'm undocumented to not get automatically registered. Right. So it is so obviously, so bald, bold-facedly an effort to register immigrants legal and illegal. It's just, well, it's obvious what's going on. All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, The Conscience of the Nation, flies, Squawky. And then over on the left, if you express the least concern about this, you're branded as a fascist or a racist or anything, or, or you know, or something to that effect. It's just, it's gotten so stupid. It's the stupid that overwhelms me. Speaking of stupid, the text line. If we ran this show based on how many texts we get on various topics, we would be pretty easy to get off the rails. For instance, we've gotten more texts on cats versus dogs oh, yeah. than anything we've talked about in I don't know how long. And they're all about as inane as you'd expect. <laughs> Stay tuned for inane. No, no, no. No? No. All right. No. There ain't nothing, there's nothing there. It's about as interesting as a cat. Oh. Willard Mitt Romney says it's moronic for Democrats to go after Trump's tax return. Yeah, standing up for Trump. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Nor should they. Keep in mind that that's an issue that was already litigated during the election. Voters knew the president could have given his tax returns. They knew that he didn't, and they elected him anyway. Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, no. Congress will never see Trump's tax returns. That's drawing a line in the sand. And Trump went back to on Friday with, I'd like to, but uh, they're under audit. So, Britta can't. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, which, which is everybody knows is baloney. a, is a yeah. dodge. You, I think... You have the right to not release them, and then voters decide whether or not they think it's a big deal. And Yeah, well, Mitt, 
Romney, who's been harshly critical of the president at times. And was during the campaign about the taxes. Right, and said he really, really ought to release them. He still thinks that Trump should publicly release his tax returns. Trump said he would happy to be happy to release his returns, so I wish he'd do that. But I also have to tell you, I think the Democrats are just playing along with his handbook, which is going after his tax returns through legislative... That sentence is oddly structured, but his point is, going after his tax returns through legislative action is moronic. That's not going to happen, he says. The courts are not going to say you can compel a person running for office to release their tax returns. He's going to win that victory. Really? You yeah, think he, he thinks will? it's open and shut. You, you, yes, absolutely. You don't think these committees, because the, the committee chairs keep saying, look, we can look at people's taxes as part of an investigation. Yeah, I, you know, I, I could certainly be wrong, but I, I really try my best to filter what I hear through, you know, through the filter, good sentence, Joe, of um of who's talking and, and what acts they have to grind. And I've heard... Even liberal media outlets say that this is a very obscure provision in the tax code, and they're really pushing it because what the reason they want to see is tax returns is obvious. Oh, all the, kinds the of reasons. The law says you can do that to make sure the IRS is functioning properly, but that's a hell of a stretch. They just want to see, number one, they want oppo research. They want to see if there's anything they can club them over the head with. They claim they're looking for evidence of Russian collusion or whatever. You know, that may be, I, I kind of doubt it, but... Trump's personal attorney said on ABC this week the IRS is, uh, or the Democrats are using the IRS as a political weapon. So it would seem to me. I believe that. And I have not found a a serious commentator who I trust to be calling it straight who says that Trump would lose in the courts if it went to the courts. Well, Mitt saying that is something because Mitt Romney said during the election, there's only one, there's a dinner table event. There's only one logical explanation for Mr. Trump's refusal to release his returns. There's a bombshell in them, a bombshell of unusual size. Hmm. That's what he said during the election. I believe that could probably be true. I mean, tax returns are full of stuff you can club your opponents with. You can portray them in all sorts of different ways. They're not charitable enough. They made too much money. You know, I'll tell you what the main thing is. There are a hundred is, things you could use. I think the number one thing that Trump is keeping the taxes back for is if it gives you any indication of his actual net worth. Mm. That it's way less than advertised? That it's way less than he's claimed $10 billion? Right, yeah. The Washington Post, they, they did research and they had it as low as $200 million at one point. So yeah. I, I don't have any idea, but it could be a lot less than he's been claiming all these years. Well, ironically... Mr. Trump is a con man, a fake? Ro- oh, Mitt right. Romney. Mitt Romney, who still says, and he ought to release them, but it's moronic to go after it the way they are. So that... That, to me, is somebody whose judgment is probably fairly sound. But it's interesting. I think at this point, everybody's attitudes are so baked in about Trump. If it turns out, no, he's only worth $1.8 billion. You think any Trump voters or possible Trump voters would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you mean he's been exaggerating? He's overstated something? Wow. That really makes me stop and think. I'm not sure much would come from it anyway. And he does get audited all the time. Seems and like so be... the idea that he's getting away with something just unbelievable in his taxes, this strikes me as incredibly unlikely. It seems like the political process will take care of this. If they don't get the taxes right now, and you're running against Trump, I mean, we're 575 days away from the election, so we're a long way out. Get your act together. Only 575 days. But whoever's the nominee can run and mention in every speech. Sure, hammer it. Hammer it every speech. This president won't release his taxes and let people decide whether or not they think that's a uh, an issue. Right. That that's the political process taking care of it, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, speaking of scandals, have you followed the whole thing? I, I asked, uh, we talked to Devlin Barrett of the WAPO about this, and he's pretty aware of it. The, the whole how the Russia investigation thing got started, specifically to do with this guy who's a former CIA guy. He's now an academic at Cambridge, and... Um, and he hosts these dinners for intelligence experts and foreign policy experts. And at one of them, years ago, he had Michael Flynn. You remember old Mike Flynn? He was the uh, national security advisor for a cup of coffee. I'm an idiocy expert. Like if somebody's acting an idiot, I'd be like, that's right. that's, that's an idiot right there. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's similar to an intelligence expert, just different. Um, but so this guy, he organizes these dinners, and um, and it turns out he was working for the FBI. And so, number one, he invited this Russian uh, grad student woman, she's a, a writer and expert on intelligence services, uh, to a dinner with Flynn. And then there were all these rumors about how the intelligence services were afraid that Flynn was compromised by this woman because he was fascinated by her. And they were like suggesting they had sex. Well, it turns out this gal and all the witnesses say, no, they are, they barely spoke. They both went home afterward. They'd never met each other before or since. That story was completely uh, made up. Follow me now. And so, I hadn't heard that. But this same guy, whose name uh, it's uh, Halper is his name. Um, this same guy then was tasked by the FBI to reach out to Page Carter Page and Old Papadopoulos and one other Trump aide. Um, and he reached out to him and said, "Hey, I want to talk to you. Why don't you write a paper for me? Let's meet. Let's talk about I don't know. How about Russia and Russian intelligence?" And but he was working for the FBI at the time, and so the Trump administration is calling him a spy on their campaign, um, and the FBI is saying, "No, he was just a source of information." Um, but it's unclear whether. All of the stories of, of Russian involvement by these aides started with this guy who was working with the FBI. And he was the guy who urged them to go do this and have a meeting with this person. This person's an expert on Russian intelligence. You should meet them. And so I don't know because it's so hard to trust various sources these days. But mm-hmm. the, the thing absolutely stinks. I wonder if we'll ever get to the bottom of it or not. I don't know. These people are, if they're good at nothing else, they're good at covering their tracks. Lindsey Graham seems to be hot to trot over this, but we'll see. I guess when I say it stinks, and again, I don't know for certain what's going on here, obviously, but it really had the smell of, you know, you meet some disaffected young dope online who's like critical of America's foreign policy in the Middle East. But he's never talked about violence. You know, he's never said he wants to bomb anything. But, you know, whatever intelligence agency leads him down the right. garden path, and they're the ones who get him to start talking about right, right. something or other. That's always bothered me. Right, right. Now, if somebody's saying, boy, I'd like to bomb the White House, and the FBI reaches out and says, oh, we can get you, we know a guy who gets uh, triggers in from him, and we can help you out. Okay, you know, that's a legit sting operation. But this kind of had the smell of this helper guy would get, Carter and Page and and Papadopoulos and Flynn to meet with people who allegedly had ties to Russian intelligence, and then he'd go to the FBI and say, hey, these guys are meeting with people with ties to the Russian intelligence services. And all they did was go to his dinner party. So it's, I don't know. Dinner table events. We shall see. A couple of texts on the text line. 
I know, uh, just real quick, I know um, uh, 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 Trey Gowdy's hip to all this, and uh, an old Devin Nunes, who's, you know, has got some questionable stuff going on. But Trey's not in office anymore, though, so what's he going to nope. do? Uh, text line, I'm a lizard. Tell the truth, Jack! That's what he's going to do. I'm a lizard owner. owner. I'm a lizard owner. 40 years old, married, bald, father of two, listen to country music, full-time job. He's four years old and he's married? 40. That's weird. Uh, I don't know why we got that text. It was from our uh, dog cat thing. They they can't do similar data studies on lizard owners because there's not enough of them. Okay, so it's just a lot of data around one. lizard owners. A, a datum right. point, I guess he's expecting us to forward that on to the researchers you or something. you say datum? <laughs> I did. Beto awoke. That's pretty good. You like that? No? Okay. That's yeah, fine. Move I'll move on. I'm, fine. I'm, I'm sticking with my Beto's a bootleg buttigage. He has no chance. Beto is a vacuous chameleon. I don't want to hear... God, that's a good band name. Vacuous chameleon. Oh, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, Beto, I don't want to hear about Beto. I don't want to hear about Elizabeth Warren anymore. She doesn't have a chance. I don't think Bernie's got a chance. His time has passed. What? Uh, Bernie I'm doesn't have you. a chance. No, he has no chance. He's got the most money, most name recognition. He's got everything. You know what? He doesn't have a chance. <laughs> or a, at least a six at the beginning of his number. You you wait. I'm just I'm just not sure we're voting for anybody that's dang near 80. That's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Wow. That's old, man. Biden and Bernie, the two leaders in the polls are just about 80. The killer bees. 80. Good Lord! One foot in the grave each. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.